0: This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. First, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, Credit Intel. Knowing the financial health of retailers is crucial for the success of your retail-related business. That's what Credit Intel is for. Credit Intel analyzes the financial health of hundreds of publicly and privately held retailers in different sectors. With a subscription to Credit Intel, you have access to comprehensive analysis of retailers' financial condition and their expert analytics team. Visit CreditIntel.com for more information. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Alan Barokis. Alan was the former head of real estate for The Gap. He was the head of leasing for General Growth. He's been in the industry for over 30 years. He's since retired. He's in Naples now. Excited for him to be here. Welcome to the show, Alan.
1: Thanks, man. It's uh, it's good to be here. and Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah. So, Alan, tell us a little bit more about who you are and your story.
1: Okay. So um, out of college, I went to UAlbany in, in New York. And uh, two weeks after graduation, while some of my friends went off to, uh, to Europe and across country, I went to work. Uh, the first, I'd say, 10 years of my career was in retail with department stores. And I had various uh, positions there in merchandising, buying, store management, etc. And um, at that time, department stores back in the late, uh, late 70s, 78, 79, 80, department stores were having problems. Uh, some of them were going out of business, et cetera. And um, so I got approached by the Gap stores to come work for them. They had recently purchased a 600 store chain. So they had doubled the size of the company when they were looking for people with managerial experience, uh, merchandising experience, et cetera. So I joined the Gap. Plus it came with a company car. So that was that was the hook that was the <laughs> hook but um, uh, so my first five years with uh with the gap was in several uh uh multi store responsibilities of district manager i, I was an h r- uh director in our distribution center in in uh Erlanger kentucky uh imagine me trying to convince my wife to go from new Jersey to kentucky but it was it was a good time it, it was a good time but then in um uh, and in, in, uh, shortly, I was there for two years, then I uh, joined the real estate department. At the time, uh, real estate, uh, the GAP had seven, seven uh, real estate dealmakers around the country. We had offices in, um, in uh, New York, Philadelphia, Dallas, Chicago, and San Francisco. None of us started in real estate. We all came from um, the field operations. We knew the culture of the company. We knew what worked, et cetera. Um, so I got my, I got my feet wet in real estate at at that time. So I, I, uh, I started out as uh, an associate, uh, leasing rep and, uh, 15 years later, I was promoted to senior vice president of real estate and construction. So I headed up the function, the best move of my life. And it was life changing for me. Um, so did that. Uh, and then in 2006, I had been there about 20 years with the company and I was on the West coast. Uh, my two kids who were grown and married but no kids no children they were on the east coast I saw them five times in five years or six years that I was out in California and I said you know what let's see what page two looks like so I left you know we sold our house in San Francisco in five days for more money than i would ever ever imagined and uh, we went back east and uh, so I knew I, I wasn't retired but I knew I wanted to do something And I always liked Building new businesses, so I started my own uh, my own consulting service, AJB and Associates. And what I did was initially I started out with some retailers and brands like uh, uh, Under Armour was and Calvin Klein were, were two of them, helping them to build their real estate strategy. They wanted to go retail, and um, so they were my first clients. And while I was doing that, I started to get calls from landlords, who were basically saying, "Listen, we're I have this center. Could you come out and tell me what you think? Think about it. What we could do, or I'm looking to develop this type of center in this market. In this, can you come out to look at the market? Look at this. And I found out that having retail perspective was valuable to the landlord. Right. Community. So yeah. Yeah, I did that, and from there I was doing work. At, well, this was simultaneous, and I did some work for some private equity companies, uh, you know, an- analyzing uh, some of their potential purchases looking at the fleets and telling where their risk rewards were, et cetera. And um, doing very well, very well, making more money than I ever made at the Gap. Now, no that equity, is. because equity is wealth, dollars or, right. or not. But then uh, a friend of mine in the business, Sandeep Athrani, who I'd become close to when I was head of real estate at the Gap, and he was head of leasing at, at uh, Bornedo, Um And we kept in touch, and we became friends. He became, he was named, uh, uh, he was named CEO of general growth properties to help take them out of bankruptcy. So he, uh, he made me know if I couldn't refuse and, uh, but I thought it might be interesting to see what it would be like on the other side. Right. So I joined, uh, I joined his executive team. So, uh, you know, from there, I was there for six and a half years. You know, we took the company out of bankruptcy and to a point where it was, you know, very profitable. And, uh. Yeah, but then I said, yes, I thought this was a two-year gig, he said, and it ended up being six and a half. And I was getting a little bit older, and I said, you know, time to enjoy. And uh, We had just bought a place in Naples, and I wanted to spend time with my, uh, my four grandkids. They're a little older now, you know, 14 down to eight, but they're very important. To me. So um, I, 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 I told him I'm leaving in a year, year and a half. And what I did during that year, year and a half, is I found my replacement Charlotte, and I worked with that individual. So we transitioned in that year, year and a half, and that's when everything was fine, and I left. So I've been retired since uh, 2000. It'll be four years. this coming June 30th, so 2017. And, you know. During that, you know, it's not like going, uh, well, it's part of another question that I might be asked later, but I'll just say that um, it, was an, it was a great move. You know, I've been able to balance uh, personal life, but I've also been able to stay, stay uh, close to the business. And I've had some uh, advisory positions, consulting business, but right now I'm retired. And if I can fit some of those other things in, I will.
0: I, that, that's great. What a great career, great story. I think it would be interesting going from being a retailer for so long to being a landlord. What was the most unexpected thing that you saw from being, that you didn't realize being a landlord uh, versus being a retailer?
1: You know, I I guess there's, there's always been this constant War between retailers and and uh and, and landlords, and everybody thinks that the, each side is being selfish and unrealistic and it's all about rent right. but when you get on the other side, you find that it's you know uh, landlords have expenses too <laughs> you know? and you know and what it takes to develop it's a long term investment um and I found out you know i found that uh you know there's you can you can have a mate you can have a major impact on the retail landscape if you've got a a working formula and um i i enjoyed my time as a landlord you know i i used to get a lot of grief from my from my colleagues on the retail side you know one of the things that a landlord was trying to take advantage of me when i was at the gap you know because you know i wasn't paying enough rent and i would say something to the effect of listen why should i suffer because i'm successful right okay so i remember andy lane from. uh, from uh, Victoria's Secret was in our in our office. And he's saying, he's saying, Alan, why should we suffer because we're successful? <laughs> and I said, you know, it's because you taught me that, Alan. And I said, Andy, you're right. You shouldn't suffer. But there's a part two to that center. You shouldn't suffer because you're successful, but neither should I. So how do we come to an agreement? Okay. And I, and I also found that the landlord side Contrary to what some people may think, is much more willing to compromise if it makes sense. You know, because it's a financial. You know, it, it's, it's all about financials. It's all about right. you know. And for for a retailer, they have their two or three little financial market numbers they have to hit, which they usually hit them very easily, and that's it. Okay, for the deal maker, but in in the uh, in the landlord side, it's much more financially driven uh, process.
0: Totally makes sense and that's that, that story, uh, the Victoria's Secret story is uh, a good one. Uh, so let's take a moment and let's get to a little bit uh, to get to know Alan a little bit better. I've got three questions for you, are you ready? We call this clear the air.
1: Go ahead. All right. When is the last time you did something for the first time? You know, I retired.
0: <laughs> Touche. That's a good one. I mean,
1: I, I, I thought about that question. And say, retiring, you know, you can retire and you can retire. How do you, you know, what does that mean? So, yeah, retired. I mean, okay.
0: Question two. What is one skill you don't possess but wish you did?
1: Play the guitar.
0: And I am certainly not musically inclined. Wish I was, but I. Uh,
1: I, I I was. I love I love music, and I, I I would love. I've tried many times, but once you get to chords, it's 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 a waste. I can't do it. I can't do it.
0: <laughs> what What type of music do you listen to? What do you like to listen to?
1: You know, I'm pretty eclectic on on music. I certainly I love classic rock, rock from the '60s, '70s, and, and the '80s. But I love classical music. Okay. Uh, I love blue. I love uh, Billy holiday. I love mm-hmm. the cold Porter. I mean, it depends on the mood and um, really. I'm a big Tchaikovsky fan. I could listen to him all day. So, but do I sing in the car? Yes. And is it usually a it, uh, uh, serious uh, satellite and it's seventies and eighties. So, all
0: right. Yeah. Those first few stations, you got the seventies, the eighties, the nineties serious. is pretty, good. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, last question. What is one thing most people agree with, but
1: you do not? You know, in the business, um, I, I think the one thing I had the most trouble with in getting people to to understand was uh, co-tenancy. You know, the uh, most retailers follow what I call the bigger idiot theory. Who else is going? Are they going to be there? I can't go unless you find me five other people. So what have they what have you what did they do by giving you names of five other people. It made those deals more important than your deal, okay? Because in order for, because they're probably sitting there doing the same thing. So I'm I'm, I'm more of a student of the market, okay? I, I, I put co-tenancy aside because if the market's not right and the customer base uh, is, is, isn't right, doesn't um, resonate with the project you're putting together and putting in, retailers, services, food, entertainment, that's consistent with what they're looking for, then it doesn't matter. They're not going to succeed. I mean, I, I, I could tell you stories about I've sat down and listened to senior real estate executives on the retail side, looking at a center and saying, I have to be in that center. Why? Because uh, let's make it up because Banana Republic is there. Right. Banana Republic, and I'm making this up by the way, but Banana Republic is doing 1.2 million dollars. Why the, does, are they doing well? What makes you think you'll do well in a market just because Banana Republic's in there and they're not and they not performing? Well, I still want to be there. I said, what if I have another center and show you something where you'll double your business? Nope. you don't have Banana Republic. Not interested. So that's that's always been a a, a teaching moment for me to try to get across to uh to uh, to our retailer friends i mean we had i was you know i, I set up a, a real estate strategy department to, at ggp where we did nothing but analyze markets and analyze trends and demographics psychographics and how they we 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 came up with models that we could tell you who shops it and we were able to share that with the retailers and one thing I will say about retail is they like data. So the yeah. more data you can give them on these uh, subjective items, uh, the better. So that was probably one of the, the areas where I differed with a lot of people and I had a it's a really data.
0: interesting one because one, one of the things that I find really fascinating in the business is there's a a tale of two cities when it comes to co-tenancy. You have the group that wants all their peers to be congregated next to them because rising tide lifts all boats. But then mm-hmm. you have another group that wants to restrict everyone and doesn't want anyone oh, yeah. who sells anything next to them. So you have this tale of two cities. You know, I think it comes from the culture of the retailer, you know, your thoughts on competition, right? In the old days, McDonald's went one place and you know, they did one and a half million dollars, let's say average, and then you know, Burger King won across the street. Burger King did like one three and then McDonald's did one seven. So a rising tide, they created like a burger Mecca. But today's environment, you you get a tale of two cities. You get one where they wanna be by everyone in this retail critical mask and then you get another cohort of retailers that they wanna restrict everyone and they wanna try to control the marketplace. So I've always found that fascinating by the different mentalities between co-tenancy and getting a vibrant co-tenancy. Versus and being really strict that you have to be next to certain groups right. versus the well, I don't want to be near them because they're selling the same type of product to you know my customer right the
1: exclusives. I mean, yeah. uh, we had an issue with, um, uh, with, with with Hallmark, you know, because when I was at Old Navy uh, when we did Old Navy stores, we had a section we had a hundred foot not hundred a thirty a foot section of greeting cards. Well, they went nuts. What do you mean? You're violating our exclusive. Are you telling me this 30 feet's gonna impact your business? We I can't tell you what we paid to get to get them to uh to relinquish that. But you're right. I mean, that's what about you know, uh there's nothing wrong with having um multiple uh uses in that sell similar items. It just brings more people and competition is good, man. Competition makes you strong, it doesn't make yeah. you weak
0: it's just fascinating so the tale of two cities and in that mindset and everyone's got a different one so when you ended up at general growth at a really interesting time right they were coming out of bankruptcy and you were coming from the retail side and some consulting what was your mission outside of just leasing space like if you were to put like a three pillar strategy what was alan trying to bring to bring this company out of bankruptcy and what was some marching orders? Like, what was the strategy at that point? Because it was a big turnaround.
1: Yeah, look, I think there's a couple of you know, strategic uh, initiatives that I had. And the first had nothing to do with leasing, per se. But it, it, it was more about getting them to be proud of who they work for, to have to be proud of the properties and the opportunities that it, that it gives them, so that they, you know, they had uh, during the time they were in bankruptcy, they were just giving away deals, okay. And I remember when I was on on the Gap, and we were looking at doing a job growth deal. I said, just keep pushing them, push them, and they'll give in. Well, no, I didn't give in. A, I didn't give instructions to give in. a Gap. We have great properties. We spend millions and millions of dollars. You're going to be proud of this. If you're not, we're going to take you off, and we're going to put you some 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 mall up in North Dakota, okay. Right. So it was getting them to feel good about themselves and feeling good about the, the properties that they had. That's number one. So I wanted them, their general, it was general believe in their product. Yeah. And believe in themselves and say, yeah. you know what? We're going to go out and we're going to get it done. So that's, that's number one. Number, number two, it was taking a look at what our, our fleet looked like and where the opportunities were and what we needed to do to set up a uh, a leasing and development plan. So myself, our head of development Rich Peston, and Sandeep Brani and I, we visited 150 malls in 4 months. Wow. Okay. And of course we didn't start at the right end. We started in the end where it was hot and we moved cold. So we never found it very few days were temperate, but we basically our, our, Here's our strategy. We wanted to see every property. You, you mentioned in our earlier discussion, can't wait to see the property. So we went out to the properties and we took a look at where, where are some of the opportunities we have. Uh, long story, and we met as many people as we could. So we, we, met, we met people. And um, at the end of the day, the result of that is we came up with a $3 billion development plan for, the, for, for those centers. Okay? And that, and from that development plan, also created. We didn't General Growth didn't have a leasing strategy. Okay, there was not. So we set up a a a series of of meetings, of monthly meetings, where we did portfolio reviews, reviews internally, talking about where the opportunities are, who are some of the potential people we want to go after, and we traced that. So we get you know it was important to. To be specific, to give guidelines and a and a plan, uh, because there was nothing. Now, once you get a, used to you know to um, adhering to a plan, you can go off plan if you want, but you understand where you want to be. All yeah. Right. So that was that was another uh, major you know, strategy for us. And the last but not least was to provide a retail perspective to them in their leasing efforts. You know, I'd sit. I'd sit. An example might be I'm sitting at you know at the real estate meeting. And um, you know the deal maker brings a uh, deal on an expansion. All right, so expansion—they're picking up fifty percent up more space. Yep. And they're only projecting the deal is only being projected at the same retail, uh, same sales that they're currently doing. So you run the numbers, and whoa, stop! Are you telling me that a retail is going to pick up fifty percent more space and not expect to do more business? I don't want that person in my ball. So, you go back and you tell them, no, if you want this 50%, we'll come up with a fair rent. But it's going to anticipate what you're going to do because yep. we had our financial goals and they had theirs. And I know what they, I was on the other side. I know what they do. It's, it's BS. So, that's just an example. But the other thing is part of, of that is trying to instill in them the need to understand as much about the retailer as you do your property. It is important because people. If you have to listen to what's being said, you can solve many problems. Sometimes without additional work, it might be marketing. It might be. It could be a number of different things. But understand what 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 makes them click. Okay, don't go after a a Michael Kors in a center that they don't have a snowball's chance in hell to uh, to succeed because the market's not right for them. Right. Or don't bring a space that's so lousy and be proud of yourself that I got this tenant to take this space. Well, you think this tenant's going to succeed in this space? Well, I don't know. So you know what's going to happen? I'm going to have a closed store in three years or four years. We're going to have to worry about how do we release it again. Don't do not do the deal. The best deals you do are the deals you don't do, quite honestly. Do it if it's right. You know, we we built a, you know, the other thing we did just overall is, is we, we spent a lot of money building a culture. We went outside. We developed uh, words to live by. We dealt with, uh, with you know, behavioral uh, issues that we wanted our people to express, et cetera. Do the right thing. It was very important. Do the right thing might be don't do the deal. I killed deals that were brought to me because it wasn't right to them. And yeah. I don't need a problem. I'd rather nip it in the bud. Yeah, you know, find something else. Something else will
0: pop up. Fantastic. I really like the first point, and you said it first, which is to be proud of the properties, and I say believing in what you have sometimes, and believe in yourself. I think all too often, sometimes you know, the first inkling is to think about the assets and not think about like believing in yourself and believing mm-hmm. in what you have. And so, I, I think it was a really, really good perspective that you had, and a, a really interesting strategy that you went to implement. Now a message from one of our sponsors. Our friends at East End Group offer true national facility services. Their professional staff and elite service partners are in place and currently serve all areas of the United States. Additionally, East End Group's current coverage extends to rural communities, areas that other service companies often overlook. With a multi-service platform that includes all of the basic property maintenance services such as landscaping snow removal and janitorial east end group also includes more than 25 additional services such as plumbing electrical and mechanical east end group takes pride in its work and uses state-of-the-art technologies to report conditions with pictures and timestamps in real time giving you peace of mind that the work is being performed as requested visit eastendgroup.net to learn more The next piece I want to bring us to is I want to bring us to a story, and you have a story about Apple and Cumberland Mall. So, right yours.
1: Okay, so I'll try to keep this short, but but direct to the point. Um, Cumberland Mall is in the northwest part of Atlanta. It's right off uh, Route Two Eighty Four, which is the perimeter. Sure. One um, uh, prior to the uh, the the Chapter Eleven. Uh, ggp had uh, spent about 75 million dollars to renovate it okay but they spent almost zero money leasing it. there was no okay because there was no respect <laughs> to, there was there, there was there was there was no respect to the customer okay no. so there was a lot of temporary tenants there was this, that you know and i lived seven miles from there and i know the market it's a very diverse market all right but there are you know, it, but it's great access and it's a great customer. So um, I said to myself, what, what, what do we need to do? And it's doing about 347 a foot, give or take. I don't want to exaggerate. And this is back in uh, 2011. So uh, I said, OK, so I came up with sort of like a two pronged attack. The first prong was how do I convince Apple to come here? Because Apple was in uh, a, a uh, was in uh, Lenox Mall. Sure. And they're perimitable. Now, the one thing you need to know about Atlanta is on the weekends and at nights, traffic is horrible. So what may appear to be close on paper, it's not. So once again, knowing the, the communities like Vining's that was center was right, right on top of and the customer base that was there. I had my real estate strategy group put together yeah, a whole presentation that we were going to sit down with uh, with Apple. And try to convince them that based on what they look for, couple and wall addresses. Forget the forget the tenants. Okay, I'll get back to that in a second. The second problem of, of the attack was, I know I need to bring some marquee tenants here. Now we already had Victoria's Secret that was doing very well. We had uh, American Eagle that was doing very well. We had H uh, and M H&M that was doing outstanding. Forever 21 was doing well, but. Everybody, everything else looked like horrible, okay? So I got, I got pretty close. I had a good relationship with my buddy over at, uh, at uh, Michael Kors. And I said, listen, man, this is your customer. He says, I know, I know, but every time I walk by, I don't see your cu- I said, This is your customer. So I, I said to him, look, let's we'll do a deal. It'll be very, it'll protect you. I only benefit if you do very well, OK? That was a long story short to a long negotiation. Right, but, but I got him to agree. Then I went to my friend uh, over at uh, Sephora. And I said, "What's your cust- who's your customer? Well, your customer's here. Went through the same gyration. I got her to say yes. Speed forward when uh, Michael Kors opened. He exceeded their projected sale by about 45%. And they're very happy, still aren't, still there. And uh, Sephora, sit down. I'd never really say this, but you were right. Well, to tell you the truth, I am married a long time. I don't hear that a lot, so I'm going to appreciate that, okay? <laughs> so, so now we had two, pre- at the time, premier tenants. We went back to you know, Apple, who was still studying the market. I was saying, by the way, here's the numbers that are, of the tenants who were here that you enjoy being with, and here's two two uh, tenants that might not think would be here, but they are, and they're both doing very well. So they took a look at it, and we were able first, and I, I respect them for this. They appreciated the analysis we did on the market, customer, etc., and they and based on where they were in the market, they felt this was a viable opportunity. Wow. The to their credit, also, the fact that we got uh, Michael Kors and Sephora, nice, but that's not what did it. So-
0: That's your co-tenancy piece that you were talking about before, right,
1: right? Right. And then, but what happened then is where Victoria's Secret was on the second floor, they came down to the first and renovated, did a whole new store. Beth Body did a whole new store. I mean, so people got excited. We added other tenants there. The mall's doing 671 a foot. Wow. All right. Now you take take away the apple factor. They they were doing about $30 million there. You take away the apple and it's probably around somewhere around 510, 520. Wow. So 510 520 from 347.
0: Wow, that's really good. That's really You
1: know, great. so uh that that probably had the biggest biggest impact and uh and it cost me, it, you know, it cost TA, but that's the other thing I found out about um about being on the landlord side as Years go by. where landlords were always very tight on TA. Now they look at it as a, an investment. How much? If I if I give you hundred thousand dollars, what am I going to get in return? You know, in rent? Do I get a ten percent return? Fifteen percent? Whatever. So uh, Sandeep always you know he used to break my chops. He says, "Oh, so you adopted that mall? What other mall are you going to adopt?" <laughs> and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just. I let other people. I, I showed the way. I'm just going to watch it you know, <laughs> right from there.
0: So <laughs> that's terrific. How long of a process was it to get Apple convinced to come? Oh,
1: t- two years. Two years. Two years. Because we had to get the lease You get some of the leasing improved. Plus, they they're very slow. You know, they're very deliberate. You then, you know, unless it's a slam band home run that it's on their hit list, uh, they they're very. They're very deliberate in in their decision-making, and that's why the majority of them, you know, they generate the kind of business they do, and, you know, they go from there.
0: Yeah, plus the brand. They've got more brand cachet than Uh, most people in the world, obviously. One of the things I find interesting, you take over head of leasing at General Growth and one of the properties, you know, you're overseeing a large leasing team. How many people were on the leasing team when you were there?
1: Oh, Deal makers around the country we probably had something like 60 60 deal makers around the country okay so we had 150 malls and um, so you divided maybe two to three malls per per retail, but we also got into street retail we got into um, Manhattan retailing we had we had three buildings that we bought in partnership with some of the guys in New York uh, which took took a lot of time and effort and we were talking about rents that um, just not sustainable there. But uh, that was another nice story for another day.
0: So you have 150 malls. To Sandeep's point, why did you adopt Cumberland Mall for you? You had 60 deal makers. What got you, you know, focused on that? Was that part of a larger strategy, or was that something like, man, I just see so much opportunity here?
1: I know. I live I, I seven miles from there. Right. Seven miles. I, you know, and it's got a Costco. It had a Costco right next to it on the same tax parcel that was doing a hundred million dollars. Okay, so there are people there. You just got to treat people with respect. You treat them with respect. They will act accordingly. That was the underlying theme through through this whole process. And the fact that it was close to me, I could go visit it every day with them whenever I was home. And I did, you know, my (laughs) office. uh, I had an office there. Okay, my, I had my office in Chicago. And then since, see, when I was in, in Chicago, um, my wife stayed in Atlanta from October till the end of March. And I was still in Chicago We rented a place. And from April to October, she'd come spend the time in Chicago. So that was home for me. And I had an office there and, uh, you know, it, it worked out. It worked out well.
0: The apple still there today? Oh, sure. That's, that's terrific. So great story. The last piece I, I think that I want to talk about is, you know, you have an interesting lens today. You're retired, but you, you're a student of retail, you're a student of commercial real estate. What's top of mind for you as it relates to retail today?
1: You know, I think we're coming, I think we're coming out of a very interesting experience, you know, under the pandemic. Where you know stores were closed, malls were closed. Uh, people got used to shopping online. All right, and uh, and so now those those doors have been opened. And what you're faced with is you're faced with a couple of things. Number one, uh, and not in any particular order, but you know customers want to get out. They've got money. A lot of them got their checks from the government or if they didn't, they didn't go anywhere. So they saved a lot. Some people moved. Some people are remodeling. Some people just want to get out and touch and feel and breathe. Yeah. So, so you've got a customer base now that is changing. They're still buying online, but they're also, if you build the right thing and give them the right offering, they'll come out. You know, when the, when the restaurants start to open up, you'll see more of that, you know, the entertainment, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, that uh, before the pandemic and for about a year or 18 months before that, if you remember, the landlords were looking at building more entertainment, more food, That's more great. health. You know? So when you think about what are the uses, so they opened them. And guess what? What are the uses that were impacted most by the pandemic? Uh, health, uh, entertainment, food. So now you've got every, people who stopped building or people went out of business. So yeah, you know, the the retail the retail world has got to get healthy again, and I think you're seeing some of it. I think you're seeing some uh, some of the uh, traditional, or uh, I call legacy retailers out there that are are doing some things uh, to try to make their their brand a little bit more uh, attractive. You know, you take somebody like American Eagle, all right, who's uh, I've got a lot of good friends over there. They are, in my mind, they are the the best. Uh, ready to wear uh, brand out there that addresses the, the teen and post teen and younger, younger you know generation. Right now, denim is on the rise again. Okay. People are buying more denim and denim in many cases was the factor that lifted a lot of retailers for a long time. Okay. American Eagle, I think is going to do well, but what they've got airy that is, you know, exploded uh, and continues to explode it. so but they just trend, airy right so now they came up with another concept which is let me just get my notes so I, I say it the right way um offline offline is their activewear and they've opened up four or five stores and that's doing well so they're trying to re- uh, sustain their their core message and they're you know opening other businesses to, to support it uh lululemon you know they've increased their menswear business but they came up with mira which is a Crazy concept, but it's a mirror that you buy, and there's a yeah. there's an avatar in there that works out with you. I mean, <laughs> but it did. Yeah, you know, it's going to do like four hundred million dollars. Yeah. Okay. So you've you got that. You've got people like uh, um Abercrombie, Gilly Hicks. Now, Gilly Hicks was something they started years ago, and it failed. It's it was their answer to Victoria's Secret, but they're bringing it back. Yep. And it's starting to open up some stores. And uh, last but not least, my old company, Gap, can't get arrested at the time. But, you know, they are, they are closing more Gap stores. I think they said they're going to close another 350 Gap uh, within the next two years. Uh, but where, where the Gap is right now, it's, oh, it's Old Navy and it's Athleta. And they were yep. very timid about increasing, increasing uh, the, uh, the Athleta opens. But now that's, that's changed. In fact, I understand they're going into Canada now. Yeah. So that, you know, that's good. So you got some of the traditional people out there who are constantly looking to redefine, to, to not redefine, but to come up with different offerings to the customers so that they can offer a different experience to them. So that's, that's something you see out there. Um, and then the value, you know, the value and the off price. Um, I don't know when last time you were in orf, an off, not off, five below. I think that's a great store. Yeah. Okay. It's well merchandised. It's neat. There's always somebody there to help you so that whether it's the, uh, you know, five below or it's the dollar store, et cetera, people look for that. Um, TJ Maxx with their home store, you know, creating that treasure, that treasure uh, hunt. Uh, So you've got this. So these are little nuances that I think people can't get that when they're sitting home buying something offline. So I think that's going to be important that retailers start to, to continue to, to do uh, to to come up with ways to to offer a different experience to you know to the customer. The other the challenge is quite honestly, you know, I think you know malls are dead. Malls are dead, malls are dead. You know there are 1100 malls and malls are dead. Well, I will tell you that 1100 number is 10 years old. Okay? There isn't. There aren't 1,100 malls. It so may be 600 malls, but the point is there should only be 250 malls, and maybe you'll get to that point. You know, at this point, because the department stores haven't done anything there, other than uh, you know, Dillard's is doing really well, but Macy's, you know, uh, Nordstrom's is, is opening more racks than you know. They're not even opening up new store, new Nordstrom stores anymore. So um, the department stores aren't as important as they used to be, but. The retailers are starting, uh, the, the landlords are starting to look at malls and coming up with different uses. They're trying to make that the, the uh, center of town, the, you know, the town hall, so to speak. So uh, I think the A and A plus centers are going to be fine. I think you're going to see fallout, in B and C centers. I think you're going to see demolition. You know, If you've got a, a, an empty, vacant uh, department store, if Amazon doesn't take it as a fulfillment center, all right, demo it. Because it looks horrible. Okay. Put a garden in there. Do something. But I, I think you're going to see more demolition because there's one thing you can say malls have great locations wherever they are. They've got great access in the market. Maybe it becomes, who knows? It could be a hospital. It could be something else. I think you'll see more of that. You know, the, 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 the rent, you know, like in the street retail. You know, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day about you know Manhattan. You know, it's still you know it's starting to come come about, but look at look at all the uh, the vacancies that are there and uh, people. You know, what, what are people going to be asking for? you can have people who want to be there because I know a lot of I talked to a couple of retailers who are talking about getting doing business again in Manhattan because they know if they wait a year, the rent's going to go up. All right, but are the landlords smart enough? There's an expression, a chaza, yeah, yeah. to quote uh, Al Pacino. In, in Scarface, do you know what a is? A Gaza is a pick. okay? <laughs> so if, if, the, if the landlords in the, in the city, this is in Manhattan, which I don't think they're any different around the country, do what you can, get the stores open, okay? Don't be a pick. You're going to get a lot of rent. Uh, and do it, make it easier for a retailer to succeed in Manhattan. When we were doing retail leasing, when we were leasing our buildings in, in uh, general growth, you couldn't make money at a twenty percent occupancy, all right? Because we were asking for rents that, based on a, on, on their sales, would have been twenty five and thirty percent. How do you make money? You don't, okay? But you have a, you have a vacant space that's not it's not generating anything. So, I think landlords, whether they are whether they're in street locations or even in in the in the development world, you know, malls or or, or power centers, whatever. Them get retailers open. There are people out there who want to open businesses. Make it easier for them. And the other thing is make it easy for some of these uh, these new concepts, these online businesses that want to want to go brick and mortar because they know for scale purposes they have to. You know, their cost right now to stay online only is something like 27, 28% uh, for the dollar. Most of it is transportation, marketing, you know, et cetera. But make it easy for them. If somebody, if one of these businesses comes to you, don't stick them in the corner. Put them in a location where they'll succeed. Work out a deal that'll let them let them you know, be successful if they get if their business is there. Don't because going into any any retail venue, the more stores that are open and operating there will be a vitality in that center that, that we haven't seen in, in many years, so. That was a lot, I'm gonna unpack some
0: of it. I'm gonna throw a couple challenges at you a little bit. Go ahead. Um, all right, so, so one, you've said, and I think old school landlord, but you've said don't put that tenant in the corner. You said that a couple of times, you said that previously that you killed some of those deals, but you have vacant real estate and you have to lease it. Who should go in the corner?
1: If it's, if it's not the new hot concept, somebody needs to go in the corner. Somebody does. Or <laughs> how else can you use that corner? Do you set it up as a community room? You're right. I mean, if you've got so much space, anything I get is right. But but don't... It depends on who the retailer is. Okay? Sure. It really does. And it depends on what the use is. But don't try to do anything you can to make it... To make it uh, a profit potential. So, if you want to put them in that corner, maybe it's not rent. Maybe it's a strictly percentage rent deal. And maybe it's a low percentage rent until they hit a certain sales special, then it goes up or whatever. Make it so that they can be profitable. Don't just sit there. I had, I had a deal maker come to me once we approved the deal. It was a lousy location in Water Tower. They were a Mexican company. They paid us something like $400 a foot for a, for a $1,500. Not even 1,200 square foot space. Okay, horrible space. She was so proud. They lasted three weeks. You know how long that space was was vacant? Like three years. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I think it's it's not as simple. I understand. Sure, sure. As sure. I, I
0: think what you're getting to is placemaking matters, right? And and there are certain uses that do well and help the landlord, but the business does really well. That might not be front and center locations where some retail concepts need. So that's how I would characterize it. The next thing I would say on the challenging piece, I think we all want to help incubate retail. Sometimes though, I would say there's a depends here because one of the problems in New York City, a lot of those landlords, they purchase the building at a price where if they do the rent that somebody wants, they might as well throw the keys back to the lender because they're not going to make it. And so I think your basis in the property matters, right? Sometimes if I have to make that deal, I'm losing. I'm never going to make money. Maybe I made a bad purchase. That's true. Might've made a bad purchase, but if I'm better off trying to take a shot to find a little bit of a unicorn, if I lock myself into this, then I'm guaranteeing that I'm toast. And so I don't want to guarantee that I'm toast.
1: Yeah, you're know, saying it makes sense. And, and but, but I, would, I would say this, that if right now, they, they purchased it, and they need to get X amount of rent. The space is vacant. You're not getting any rent out of it. You find a tenant. You, you put them in there. Anything you get from them will help you, OK? Um, is the deal is structured, if it's structured in a way that you get something, and you get more than you would be getting right now, and that if they are successful, you get more. You know, Maybe it's an increase in percentage. Who, who knows? Instead of just doing the, the the traditional triple net deal and saying this is it's rent taxes and and we go from there and we'll see how you do I, I think there's got to be some uh, some thought behind what you can do to mitigate your risk but also allow for the retailer to succeed
0: yeah, I would characterize it as in a new world order we all need to get collaborative and creative to on deal structure. I, I, I think that's fair. Historically, what i found is the retailers, whether they're new or legacy that are continuing to grow, well, their business model is long-term leases at fixed rents. They want to do the base rent triple net taxes because you want to lock in your rent, right? You want to lock in five years worth of fixed rent, because as sales grow, now you're locked in, you fix your costs. The worst mm-hmm. thing you can do in that regard is that variable cost structure. Whereas someone who's unproven, not sure if they're gonna go up or down and wants to protect their downside, well, that business is probably looking for a variable cost structure because of that, right? But you know, right now, I'm sure, I'm not in city retail, I'm in suburban, much like the majority of the GGP portfolio was, but you know, I know in the Great Recession, we had a lot of box retailers that we were doing business with and they were trying to lock in, you know, occupancy costs for long periods of time because they saw the forest for the trees and they saw the economy going up and they didn't want to have to pay 2013 Mm -hmm. rents in 2011. And to that end, they locked it in. They made great business decisions and having a variable cost structure would have hurt them pretty bad. So I think it's, the, the business model matters tremendously. Right. Because if you 100 hundred percent, you know, I,
1: I think people, there are very few original ideal ideas in this business. There really is. And as far as deal-making as a deal-maker, when I was, I'm sure deal-making during your career, you came up with a very creative deal. Okay. And then as I did, so the question is how many times did we try to duplicate that? Okay. Whether it made sense or not. Okay. Well, how many times do people look, oh, that got approved, so I'm gonna do it. The the key is is to sit back and say, what's the right, what's the right deal? How what do we need to do to make this deal um, successful? And uh, you know, too many people just it's it's a it's a it's a fallback. They just they just do the deal and do the deal and do the same deal structure, whether it's right or wrong. You have to sit back and and, and look at that. I've got one more
0: question before we go to the final part of the show. I'm gonna make it two because I don't want to end on a negative. What's concerning you the most about our industry right now?
1: Right now, I think it's the. Um, it has nothing to do with the industry, but it's the uh, it's the economy, and where we're going, and when will the bubble burst? You know, people are getting people are getting. This isn't political. This is just. I think it's common sense. People are getting. Um, they're getting some help from the government right now, but that's not going to happen. It's like it's not going to be there forever and there's inflation we have to worry about There's supply issues we have to worry about Uh, so i I, I think it's all of those non-retail issues that are uh, that are impacting the economy that are going to uh to have a negative impact it's going to be it's going to be a while before we get out of it
0: i i hope you're wrong but but why so what that's I what i'm
1: afraid you. yes what i'm afraid of
0: i know but that's what i'm nope. afraid of i hear you if if i were to answer that i would right now you know, construction costs are a real challenge especially in if you're in a market where rents aren't growing and construction costs are rising everywhere that's really a challenge so even to do some basic base building work is more costly and, and that $75 million renovation that GGp did today that's you know a hundred and hundred seventy five million dollar renovation that's that's problematic, so what are you most excited about about our industry right now?
1: You know, I like some of the new uh the new concepts that are out there uh, and, and you know whether it's casper, you know the betting uh the yeah. bedding company I think that's great. I like you know Warby Parker has been around for a while. You can't say they do they continue to reinvent who they are, and uh, so there's still there's still a lot of new businesses. There's still a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are trying to do things a little bit differently, And I think oh. that as an industry, we have to embrace them more, okay? Oh, and, um, you know, I, was, I forget where I, I, I saw this, but, um, you know, somebody put together, um, they built an area specifically for new retail concepts. It was, wasn't at the end, next to Sears. It was on the 45-yard line. Okay. And it kept rotating, giving people chances to experiment, et cetera. So I, I think there's, there's going to be, a, there's going to be an, uh, some exciting things out there for a customer to, you know, to experience. Um, I think people now understand they have to do things a little differently. It's a question of, will they? Because, you know, when you're running the race at some point you get a little confident, then you fall back to old, old habits. So, um, but I, I think, the rumors of the death of this business have been greatly exaggerated. I mean, I went through it in late 80s, I think it was the eighties, parts of the nineties, and two thousand six, five, six, seven. You know, death, 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 death. We're we, we're resilient. So I have, the one thing I've, I've always you know, you asked me about the the landlord side versus the retail side. I've never seen more optimistic people than there were on the landlord side. Okay, they're always. There's always a reason to do something. There's always a reason to spend money. There's always a reason to make the dreams that they have. And when they build it, it's a reality. So I think that hasn't stopped. That, that's, that's still there.
0: That's a great, great point. Okay. Last part of the show. I call it retail wisdom. I've got three questions for you. They're fun questions. Are you ready? Go ahead. All right. Question one. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead?
1: Walden Books. Oh. It's really, it's the classification, call it Walden, but a smaller bookstore, people still read books. now, And I think there's things you would put in that bookstore today that you wouldn't with Walden, but maybe they would, you can have a, you know, you can have a, um, uh, a cafe, you can have a community room, right? Some place to go in and touch and feel books, okay? Question two. And as a New Yorker, Models, ah, Sporting There you if go. You're, if you're a new, a home team, Walk through that store. Totally have. You okay. always have to spend money. Sorry about that. But.
0: No, that's good. Uh, question two. What is the last item over twenty dollars you purchased in a store?
1: It was in the Apple Store. Okay. And I bought the uh, a charging block. I've seen because them. Because now, now they're different. And I had to get the cables to go with that. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting because I looked and it said I've got a lifetime guarantee on that. But I don't have a lifetime guarantee that they're not gonna change the head again or they're not <laughs> gonna change the block and I'm gonna to have to buy something different in three years. Yeah. These guys, they're amazing, but that was what I bought.
0: <laughs> totally. Yeah, and we've all gone through. I remember when they made the big switch from the, the wire when it was wide and a fat right, wire, yeah. A little yeah, skinny. yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal. Last question. You and I went shopping at Target and I lost you. What aisle would I find you in?
1: Electronics. Electronics. Okay. TVs, radios, music, gadgets. I love that stuff. All right. Well, Alan, this is great. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I
0: really appreciate it. it. It's been fun. It has been fun. This is terrific. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at Retold at DLC mgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you
1: don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.